All right, guys, this is James back again with the Turn and Burn podcast, episode three. As promised, I've got a guest on this week with a trip report. This is uh, Brandon here, honorary first guest, and uh, he's actually going to do his uh, Thailand trip for us. So uh, what's up, Brandon? How are you doing? Hey, James, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. And uh, this is my first podcast, so excited to chat a little bit. So uh, I figured before we started, I would kind of ask you on a general level, like, what would you like to say about yourself? Uh, how long have you been traveling as far as, I guess, the velocity that we go? And like, how long have you been into turning in points and miles? So uh, a little bit about me. I am uh, from Southern, Southern California and still live here, um, down San Diego based. Um, I'm on the first half of my 30s, um, and the point stuff started for me probably around 2016. I started reading one or two mainstream blogs. You can probably guess what at least one of them was, and just kind of reading it at work and learning a little bit about how this works and this whole community and ecosystem that I didn't really know existed. I eventually spent some time reading some blogs, learned a little bit about different strategies and manufactured spending strategies and that type of thing, and actually started doing it um, actually surprisingly early into my points career. And, um, you know, I'm a, I, I, like to, I like to travel. I have, uh, I have some free time and I work remotely and I, I like to take the trips and the points and miles really allow me to basically punch above my weight when I do travel. You know, I'm a, I'm a normal guy, you know, I'm not made of money or anything, but I've definitely had some, some great experiences due to uh, the fruits of this hobby. Was the, uh, I take it the points guy was your gateway drug? That is correct. I started reading the points guy in my cubicle, uh, probably around 2016. Um, then I found a couple other blogs and I probably read two or three a day for the past seven, eight, nine years. And, um, so yeah, you know, as, as you spend more time in this hobby, you, you start to go a little bit deeper and learn a little bit more intermediate and advanced strategies, but I've definitely learned a lot and I'm still learning a lot, um, you know, every day regularly. That's crazy. I feel like we're on pretty parallel timelines because I kind of got into it around the same time. I'm roughly the same age as you, I think. Uh, so that's really cool. And so you were saying you primarily are kind of like a solo traveler, right? Yeah, um, especially more recently. So for a while, I was dating somebody and we enjoyed, you know, long weekends domestically or down in Mexico and being based in San Diego, stuff like Mexico and Seattle and Arizona, and that, you know, three nighters, that type of thing. Um, and I actually probably traveled during more during COVID than I did <laughs> any other time. And we, you know, a couple big trips, maybe week longs to Hawaii and that type of stuff. And that was usually with somebody. But when, um, when she wasn't available to join me or when I just wanted to go by myself, um, I did do the solo travel thing. And my first solo travel trip was in 2014 when I did the whole Southeast Asian backpacker, budget backpacker. Uh, they call it the banana pancake tour, banana <laughs> pancake trail, I believe. And that was about three, three and a half months um, in Southeast Asia. And that really gave me a taste of the, of the travel bug. And uh, that was a great time. And actually, prior to that, my first real exposure to traveling was my study abroad program in college. And I did a study abroad program called Semester at Sea, which is a ship-based study abroad program oh, as yeah, opposed yeah. to Heard of it. going to one city for you know Florence for three months or something like that for a semester. And so me and 600 other students lived on board a cruise ship that circumnavigated the globe, which was pretty cool. And we stopped in 12 or 13 countries for up to a week each. And that gave me feet on the ground experience and confidence in places as varied from Ghana to Vietnam to South Africa to Mauritius to 
you name it. And so that was really interesting. That definitely gave me the travel bug and that gave me the confidence to do some of the other stuff, such as the Southeast Asian backpacking that I mentioned earlier. And, you know, now I prefer to go with somebody uh, whenever I do a bigger trip, but just due to work or life or schedules or cost or for whatever reason, if, if, if nobody can join me, I'm still going to go. And uh, I think life is short and you should always take the trip. So yeah, some of the, some of the trips are solo and some of them are not. It also probably helps that you only have to set up uh, an alert for one seat on the business in the first class uh, <laughs> searches, right? <laughs> That's correct. For these bigger trips, you know, if it's like I said, a long weekend or a week long, that's not terribly hard to find somebody to join you. You know, it's not, it's not too much of a commitment. Um, but for, you know, for a big two week or three week international trip, a lot of people can't really uh, find that time off if it's not something that they thought of themselves. If someone just comes to them and said, hey, do you want to go somewhere for three weeks? That's pretty difficult to finagle for a lot of people. And I totally respect and understand that. Um, but yeah, so when, when it comes to these big ones and the, the big bucket list trips, for better or for worse, it is usually just one seat. And I guess the, the nice part of that is I can kind of do whatever I want and not really have to worry about anybody else's preferences or opinions. Um, and the downside of it is obviously it's, it's nice to experience things with people. Um, but, you know, depending on where you go, sometimes it's not too hard to meet people as well. Yeah, I definitely agree. I did a couple weeks in Japan by myself a few years ago. And the best part about it, like you said, you can do whatever you want and nobody can tell you what you're going to do every day. Um, I'm really excited that we're doing a Thailand trip that you went on because I am pretty light on my Asia exposure and I've never been to Thailand. So I'm really excited. Um, so could you give us like a very brief description of maybe what your goal was for this trip and why you decided to go on it and maybe a little bit about it before we get into the, the granular uh, booking and everything. Sure. So like I mentioned, I did semester at sea in college and that stopped in a few Asian countries. I believe it stopped in Hong Kong, China, and Taiwan, Vietnam. I believe that was it. It was actually supposed to stop in Japan for the week, but about a month or two prior, the uh, tsunami hit in 2011. So we had to pivot to Taiwan instead. So anyway, I had a taste of Asia prior to this trip. And then I went back when I did my backpacking. Um, and I had been to Thailand twice before this. And so this was actually my third time in Thailand. Um, just backing up a little bit, Asia in general is very interesting to me. It's one of my favorite regions of the world. The it's just a total 180, 180 degree change when it comes to the lifestyle and just the, the daily life compared to the US or the Western world. Um, you know, the, the, the very creative, there's a ton of people over there. Each country is pretty distinct. And um, also for what it's worth, the value is pretty hard to beat anywhere else in the world. Of course, we have expensive countries and cheaper countries. Um, but in terms of talking about entire regions, Asia and specifically Southeast Asia, in my experience, is really, really hard to beat. Your money goes pretty far. And as someone who likes to think he's smart with money and a little frugal, um, I keep finding myself going back to Asia frequently. So I'd been to a good chunk of the Southeast Asian countries over there, and I definitely enjoy the region, like I mentioned. And with this trip specifically, um, this was over the holidays of 2022. This trip was over um, Christmas and New Year's, and I kind of like to get get out of the U.S. during that time. I think personally, I think New Year's Eve is kind of overrated, and as long as your family's cool with you disappearing during the holidays, um, it's easy to kind of get away. Work slows down. You know, you're not really expected to to do a ton that type of thing. Probably better weather. And on top too, of that, right? that, sorry, probably better weather too, right? Yeah, that's what I was going to say next. That that definitely lines up with the uh, the best time to visit Southeast Asia, um, you know, specifically Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, that type of thing. Uh, November to February is the best time to visit that region as a whole. And so me going over Christmas and New Year's is pretty perfect. And uh, like I mentioned, the trip we'll discuss today was approximately two weeks in Thailand um, over Christmas and New Year's Eve. 
Yeah. So, what was the basic uh, flight, hotel, city itinerary, and how did you book everything? So, this one, having had some experience in Thailand, I actually ultimately ended up going back to every place that I had already been before. Um, with that said, I, I really enjoyed it. I knew that I didn't want to spend too much time in Bangkok since I'd already been there, you know, three, four or five times. Um, but with that said, that's, that's where you fly into. And so when I was planning it, I know I wanted to visit about two or three cities uh, or I'm sorry, two or three destinations. And I wanted to have an anchor part of the trip than you know, one or two other supporting parts of the trip. So I decided that the anchor part of the trip where I was really going to spend about half of the two-week trip was going to be on Koh Samui, which is one of the bigger islands um, of their chain, chain of islands there. And I kind of planned the rest of the trip around that. So I knew that I was going to be in Bangkok for one of the three, Koh Samui for two of the three, and then the third one was kind of a, a wild card. Interesting. And I'll, like... It's fascinating because you're naming off these places that I've heard of, I've seen photos. I probably embarrassingly are more familiar with maybe some of the hotels and the destinations than the destinations themselves. So I'm going to kind of use this as like, I I probably listen back in a few years when I'm going to go to Thailand. Uh, Hopefully it's on my list. So yeah, uh, how did you you get there um, flight-wise? So flight-wise, the flight there, um, if you recall, I forget the exact time. I think it was sometime during 2022. There was a United flash sale where there was a bunch of partner space to various worldwide destinations and business class showing for 60,000 United miles. So I heard about this and I went online and I was looking up a bunch of routes. I think I booked Australia. I think I booked Thailand. I think I booked, you, you name it. I just, I just kind of freaked out and booked a few things. Um, like I mentioned, one of them, I defaulted to Thailand and I saw availability in December. And like I mentioned, I, I try to kind of disappear during that time. So I knew that there was a, a decent chance of me actually taking that flight specifically. So I pulled the trigger on that. The flight there was, again, I'm San Diego-based, so the flight there was Los Angeles to Tokyo on United in Polaris, then onward um, Tokyo to Bangkok in Thai Thai Airways business class. And that flight itself cost 60,000 United points plus about $20 in taxes. $20 in taxes sounds really good. (laughs) The sixty thousand United points was was very good as well. You yeah. know, I, I generally don't worry too much about taxes. You know, whether it's twenty or seventy or yeah, it's basically a sign up bonus, right? Exactly. Or you know, transfers from you know Chase. Yeah, like you mentioned, the sign up bonus and sixty thousand United points for I don't know the cash value, but for that specific flight was somewhere between four and six thousand dollars one way, probably. Again, keep in mind we're going during high season in December, so. That was definitely a great value in my book. So that was the flight there. It's probably the first time I've heard somebody say high season in December that didn't have to do with a European Christmas market. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the Christmas markets or, or going down to uh, you know Australia or something like that. Oh, yeah, exactly. I forgot about that. It's Yeah, it's, I feel like I'm, we can be so insulated sometimes as Americans. We're just not... You're not thinking about reverse climates, and um, so how how long were both of these flights? From uh, you said you connected in Tokyo, right? That's right. So I believe LA to Tokyo, if I recall, was about twelve hours, and I believe I had about a two or two and a half hour layover in Tokyo. And if I recall correctly, the flight onward to Bangkok was about seven, six and a half or seven. And that was, like I mentioned, on Thai Airways. And both flights were pretty pretty standard. Nothing particularly amazing or particularly bad on either of the two legs. One thing that was kind of fun was I actually left. I departed from Los Angeles the morning of December 24th, which was obviously Christmas Eve. And after everyone had boarded, uh, there was a, 
United employee who was dressed like Santa Claus. And he was an older gentleman with a very real, very full white beard. And he looked just like Santa Claus. He was wearing a Santa hat. And he came on board and just kind of, I think he gave out cookies or something and just kind of posed for photos. And given that it was December 24th, that was kind of fun. So I got a, I got a pretty good picture of that. And that was completely out of left field and really entertaining. But other than Santa Claus on, on the flight there, um, he didn't actually fly with us. He, he, was, he only spent about 10 minutes on board. But other than Santa on the flight the there, airport, right? yeah, he probably went from gate to gate and just, but you know, I'm still talking about a year later. So he's definitely accomplished his goal. Um, but both flights are pretty standard. And uh, yeah, about probably 12 to Tokyo and about seven to Bangkok. So it's definitely a long travel day or day and a half. And so I departed the morning of December 24th and arrived the evening of Christmas Day, December 25th. So with, with the dateline and the 19 hours of flights and the layover and everything, you lose about a day and a half. Wow. What uh, You said the layover was how long? I believe it was about two and a half hours. Okay. Which is kind of the sweet spot, enough to enough to go to the lounge and have a drink or do whatever you want to do, but not too much to where you're wasting your time. Um, so to me, that's that's a sweet spot layover, about two and a half hours. I, I don't, you don't want it to be an hour in case there's any sort of issue or your bags don't make it or you misconnect or something, but I also don't want to yeah. you know, spend five hours in, in Narita or something like that, right? So a two, three-hour layover is generally what I aim for for these bigger international trips. I feel like everybody's pretty familiar with the United Polaris experience at this point, or maybe they should be, but was Thai Airways, like, what, what's the seat like on that? So I believe that was a one-two-one. <clears throat> I actually don't recall what plane it was. It might have been a triple seven. It was, like I mentioned, kind of. It was fine. It was great. I mean, it was kind of unremarkable in terms of nothing that I'm shouting from the rooftops, but also no bad experiences. It was a standard business class experience. But um, obviously, traveling solo, I always prefer the the one in the one-two-one where. You know, you're sitting flush with the window and it's also an aisle seat as well. So you don't have to. Yeah. Well, most, most one, two, ones have a, most business classes these days have direct aisle access, but always nice to not step over anybody and always nice to not have any neighbors. So definitely did that. My wife pretty much has two requirements for business class. It's, can you sleep and is the food good? So her, her philosophy is if it lies flat and I can get fat, go ahead and book it. (laughs) <laughs> that's a nice rhyme that's a nice rhyme I like that. uh so what yeah so what was your uh first uh city and where did you stay so i arrived in bangkok the evening of uh december 25th christmas day and i stayed four nights in the hyatt regency bangkok sukhumvit this is a category two hyatt property i believe i paid around eight thousand points a night and I forget if I tried to use a suite upgrade award or not, but it wasn't available anyway. So being a high globalist, they gave me a room on a high floor. And the view wasn't anything to write home about, but it, you know, it was a nice room. And again, I'm by myself, so I didn't need a ton of space. The hotel was fine. Good location relative to Bangkok. Um, it was a good club lounge, but really busy. Um, not I wouldn't say overcrowded, just kind of very busy. And the hotel actually apparently has a pretty good rooftop bar slash restaurant slash club, but I didn't make it there during my three or four days. Um, I'm not trying to spend all my time in the hotel, but I did spend quite a bit of time in my hotel the first 24 hours because I had pretty wicked food poisoning uh, basically the next morning when I woke up for about 24 hours. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, not you a know, bad I, I, place I, to have it, right? Right. Um, you know, it's definitely uh, not a pleasant experience, but you're you're posted up in a hotel, and I didn't really have any agenda. And like I said, I'd already been to Bangkok three, four, five times, so I definitely didn't have any FOMO losing a day. I just wanted to feel better. Um, so that's that was the first stop, and that was Bangkok. Did the standard, you know, activities kind of see the city. And like I said, I'd been there before, so nothing too crazy, but met a friend 
and uh, had some breakfast and just kind of enjoyed the city. For a first time, let's say I'm going into Bangkok for the first time. I'm actually looking at the the Regency right now while you're talking about it. Uh, that rooftop bar, I got to tell you, you you missed out, man. <laughs> it looks pretty pretty wild. But uh, I'm sure I did. Yeah. So my question, if I'm going into Bangkok for the first time, how many days would you say is maybe appropriate to get get a good uh, experience of the city? So if you've never been to Bangkok before ever, I would assume you've probably never been to Thailand ever as well, given that that's where you're probably right. going to arrive at. And for a first timer, I would say a minimum of three nights, probably a maximum of four or five. Again, this is assuming you've never been there. Bangkok is one of the bigger cities in the world with tons of things to do. Lots of tourist attractions, lots of street food. There's dozens and dozens. There's probably, you know, 60, 70, 80 rooftop bars that are just totally world-class. Um, Bangkok, you could definitely spend a lot of time in Bangkok. However, with that said, it's, it's very different from the rest of Thailand in that Bangkok is basically kind of like Tokyo. It's a giant, you know, concrete capital city. And it has its rivers and its temples and that type of thing. But after about three or four days, you're probably going to want to jump off and go somewhere else. So if you've never been maybe, maybe three or four nights in Bangkok, um, I did four. And I'm kind of glad I did because, like I said, I lost one of them. But once you return to Bangkok, you'll probably not want to spend any more than two, maybe three nights there. Yeah. I tell anybody going to Asia, just go ahead and on your mental calculator, chalk up your first day and night there to kind of be more of a recuperation period. So, uh, yeah, where'd you go after that? So from Bangkok... After I recovered from food poisoning and enjoyed a couple of days in Bangkok, um, I flew Bangkok Airways from Bangkok to Koh Samui. Bangkok Airways is a private boutique Thai airline that actually, I believe, owns the airport in Koh Samui. So it's somewhat of a monopoly, unfortunately. I paid cash for that flight. And I believe that's only about an hour, an hour and 15 minute flight. I don't remember how much I paid for it, but pretty standard. They have something like 10 flights a day, nonstop. Right. And can't from be that there, crazy. I went, it can't be that crazy, but at the same time, it's, it is a monopoly and, mm. you know, everything else in Thailand is pretty cheap. So you're definitely paying for the convenience. There are other ways to get to Koh Samui. I believe there's an overnight ferry or something like that, but. Ever since the backpacker days when I when I took it, I, I think I've wiped it from my memory. So now that I can have the means <laughs> yeah. to, you know, fly the hour instead. So I flew to Kosamui and then checked into the Hyatt Regency Kosamui for six nights. As you're listing off these hotels, because I've never I don't think I've actually looked at either of these before. I'm looking at them just all, like Googling. And both this one as well, just blowing me away for just from the photos. So now you got to tell me about it. So the Hyatt Regency Kosamui, <clears throat> I believe it's a category four, or at least it was when I stayed there. I think I paid around 18,000 Hyatt points a night. And like I mentioned, Kosamui, I tried to pick a, a main focal part of this trip to kind of spend a lot of time. And Kosamui was, was that city. And it's an island, so it was that that island. And so I flew in there, and I knew I was going to be there for about half the trip. I applied a sweet upgrade. I applied a sweet upgrade award to the reservation, which did clear into a one bedroom suite. The hotel itself, it was good. It was very good. It is a higher Regency. It's not a Park Hyatt or in Andaz or anything crazy. So manage your expectations. But if you do look this hotel up online, it's, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous pool and great hotel grounds. The property's very well maintained. Um, fantastic front desk staff. Um, shout out to the GM over there, Praven. Um, he's a very warm guy who really understands hospitality. And I was there for about a week and enjoyed a few very good, uh, chats with him, just very casual kind of spontaneous chats when I saw him around the property. 
so this this property, I basically was there for six nights, and like I mentioned, I didn't I didn't really have any plans. I I had them arrange a delivery of a rental scooter for me, um, which is an absolute must, especially on Kosamui. So I when you I say, I, I gotta ask, when you say scooter, is this like I'm picturing a one of the uh, like a razor scooter with a motor, but that's probably not <laughs> what you're talking about at all. That would be a go pad. This uh, a moped, we'll should say. So like a Vespa style. Oh, scooter. Yeah. That's awesome. And so those are very common in uh, lots of Asian countries, um, specifically Vietnam and Thailand and that type of thing. And it's actually the primary method of transportation. So. For about six or six and a half US dollars per day, I had my own scooter. And you did, I did have an international driver's license. You don't really need it. Nobody asked for it. It's Thailand, but I did have that. Um, it's $20 a year, so I can't hurt. But yeah, so I had, a, I had a nice suite in the hotel for almost a week. I had a scooter and perfect weather and no plans on the horizon. So it was a great stay. Um, and Kosamui, you know, it was beautiful. I um, went to a Muay Thai fight, which was an interesting experience for the first time. And just kind of woke up and worked out and had a big breakfast and hung out at the pool and tried to meet some people and have a good time. I'm just like, I'm looking at photos of Kosamui. And obviously, I've heard of it before, but just the idea of just having a $6 a day scooter around this place just sounds insane. Like, I, I mean, you must have gotten yourself into all kinds of trouble. Like, <laughs> the good kind, so the I'm, good kind. Yeah, definitely the good kind. Uh, maybe a little bit of the bad kind, but we won't talk about that. Here. But no, I'm a, very, I'm a very casual guy. And so, like I said, my average day, you know, wake up, do all that stuff. And then, you know, we're talking maybe 81, 82 Fahrenheit, no humidity, just perfect weather, which is why it's high season over there. And, you know, I throw on some, some gym shorts and a tank top and my helmet and some sunglasses and flip-flops and just hop on that thing and just go cruise around. And it's very freeing, not really have anywhere to go. And you can just kind of pull over on the side of the road and go to a street market, go get some, some really good cheap food or go to the beach and have a drink or just kind of do whatever you want. So I definitely unplugged and unwinded for about a week on Kosamui, which was, uh, which was pretty excellent. And one more note on the Hyatt Regency. I mean, there's definitely nicer hotels on the island. I don't have any experiences there. That was my second time on Kosamui. The first time, like I mentioned, I was budget backpacking 10 years prior. Um, and this was the second time in the Hyatt Regency. And it, it absolutely checked all the boxes I was looking for. Um, but if you do want to go a little bit nicer, they have a W there. They have a Conrad. I don't have any experiences at either of those. I be believe there's a Four Seasons or something like that. I'm not really sure on that. But there's there is Kosamui yeah. is very developed, and there's there's definitely no shortage of points properties on all points on the spectrum. There, I was very depressed. I just uh, checked out the cash rates on the Four Seasons, which. Uh, Gets a very rare four point eight stars on Google, um, nine hundred dollars a night. So the infamous uh, cheaper Thailand rates are not to be had at the Four Seasons. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Four Seasons is known for uh, a place where you save money. But keep in mind, nine hundred dollars a night in Thailand is is like <laughs> four or five or six thousand dollars a night in the U.S. That's that's how dramatic the price difference is. And that's also for what it's worth. One of the reasons I like going to Southeast Asia so much. Right. I was going to say that the, just from the Regency I saw, I could see that going for seven or $800 here. And this Four Seasons would probably be, you know, I guess you'd run into like a Taylor Swift or somebody at this place. It's just <laughs> insanity. There's infinity pools coming out of your front porch. And that's so cool. Uh, and and if anybody was wondering, I'd say most people listening to this probably know, but you probably heard Brandon mention a couple of times uh, Hyatt Suite Upgrade Awards. So uh, when you get Globalist within a calendar year with Hyatt, which is their top tier lead status, you get four 
uh, Sweet Upgrade Awards. And the awesome thing about them, and I, you obviously know this because you used it very well, it's uh, one upgrade award can be applied to a stay of up to seven nights. And so if you get economical with that and you have four of them, you could basically do like four week-long trips in some insane suites. So it's really, really awesome. Absolutely. And they definitely, you know, they, they treat Hyatt in general, as, as lots of people know, treats their elites, especially their globalists, very well. And, you know, this property was no exception. Um, Great, you know, great suite. And I was there over New Year's, which was actually kind of uneventful, but I didn't have any plans or anything. So I just kind of hung out on the property, but um, was there over New Year's and it was probably one of their busiest weeks of the year. And it was, it was a great stay, you know, beautiful lobby and just great grounds, great pools. Everybody was nice and eager to help. And I will say this, I, you know, you expect a certain caliber of, of service at, certain calibers of property. And I wouldn't say Hyatt Regency is the, the top of the top, but just given the property and given that the fact that you were in Asia, they, they take hospitality seriously. And their front desk staff specifically was extremely uh, proficient and helpful. Um, I didn't ask for anything too crazy, but, you know, I had them deliver the scooter versus, you know, going down the street and uh, getting it myself and just a couple other things like that. And there was actually an issue where I had dropped off laundry. You can, you can drop off your laundry in, in Thailand and have it done. And they price it something like a dollar per pound or something like that. And so I dropped off this huge bag of laundry and they, they wash it and dry it and fold it for you. And you go back a, a day or two later to pick it up. And I actually forgot which store I dropped it off at. And I, might have had the receipt or not. I don't remember. But the front desk staff spent plenty of time calling I something like a dozen or half a dozen places in the general vicinity of where I remember dropping it off. And they eventually found it. And one of them personally took the time to get on their own scooter, go to the laundry place, pick it up and drop it back off at my room. And it's just little things like that, that, you know, it's, it's, they went above and beyond and, that's kind of what hospitality and service is all about. That ad doesn't surprise me at all, just based on everything I've heard. Uh, before we move on, you ready to have your mind blown by what I just uh, found out? Let's hear it. <laughs> so I Googled Ritz-Carlton Kosamui fine hotels and resorts. You probably know where I'm going with this. Uh, I think so. Multiple nights in February and March, $250 a night. Um, that's crazy. It's absolutely insane. That's news to me. And uh, yeah, I'll definitely keep that in mind if and not if, but when I go back. That's, uh, yeah, so little lesson to whoever's listening. Like I mentioned, you know, Asia, specifically Southeast Asia, is just insane value basically for what you get. You know, your money goes three or four times further than you would realize. And you might see a hotel room at a five-star hotel in Thailand cost cash rate $400. And you think that's a deal because back home it might cost eight or $900. $400 in Thailand is still like crazy. And so you can probably find a five-star hotel for something like $140, $160 a night if you really look for it. Will it be the Ritz-Carlton? Maybe, maybe not. But $250 for a Ritz-Carlton on FHR with a $100 credit and free oh, breakfast man. and the upgrade and the late checkout and all the other stuff that we know FHR provides, plus the $200 credit that FHR will give you. Um, that's, that's just a slam dunk value right there. I'm actually staying on. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to Montreal tomorrow, and I'm doing four nights on an FHR at the uh, Hilton Curio. Uh, because it has a cash rate of $280 a night, but it's FHR. So I, I stacked four in a row uh, <laughs> for like a total cost of something like $450. So for all four nights. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll, they'll treat you well and that'll stack with any other status you have and everything. So FHR is, is definitely a great program if you could take advantage of it. So... Did Kosamui scoot it around the island, lived the best life? Uh, what are we doing after that? 
So after that, after Kosamui, I actually didn't have things terribly planned out. So I was, I had a few days to kill. I was trying to decide where to go. And I ended up going to Koh Tao, which is the third of the three main Thai islands. So it goes Koh Samui, Koh Phangan, and Koh Tao. Uh, Koh Phangan is the one in the middle. It's famous for the full moon party. And Koh Tao is the smaller one at the end, kind of famous for scuba diving and snorkeling and that type of thing. And I'd actually been to Koh Tao uh, prior when I did my backpacking trip uh, 10 years prior. So I wanted to get back there and just kind of see if I if it jogged my memory or anything like that. So I took a ferry from Koh Samui to Koh Tao and stayed there for three nights, just kind of in a random, you know, three-star hotel and nothing fancy, probably, probably $35, $40, $45 a night. And I uh, just kind of hung out there. Um, I had gotten scuba certified there 10 years prior for something like 300 or $350 all in, including lodging, which is probably about $1,000 cheaper than it would have costed you in the United States. Um, and so I was debating going diving again, but I didn't want to go scuba diving twice in the same place and have those be the only two times I've scuba dived. Whether or not you agree with that logic, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but maybe sometime soon I'll make it to Honduras or Belize or one of these uh, other great diving spots. But uh, anyway, I spent a couple of days on Koh Tao, just kind of hanging out, um, tried to meet some people and just hung out on the tropical island. So Koh Tao wasn't terribly uh, activity filled, but that's that's the perfect spot for something like that. Just kind of chill out and enjoy yourself. So, so far I've learned you've done around the world uh, study cruise and you're scuba certified. And I... <laughs> None of this I knew already, by the way. This is all kind of blowing my mind. So how like so how was all of that experience there? Uh the Kotal experience? Right. Yeah, well, I, I did not go diving again, which is probably a missed opportunity. But um, you know, from one island to another, I, I hung out on Kosamui for a week and then I took a couple hour ferry and hung out on Kotal for a few days. And, um, you know, that was my third, third destination. And I just had a couple days there. So I just kind of hanging out and really enjoying some time off from work and, um, just basically enjoying the weather and meeting people. I think I remember I'm solo, so I'm trying to meet people. And I did like the pub crawl and stuff like that, which I'm probably way too old for, but it's a pretty small Island. Uh, there's not even cars on the Island. So, you know, it's, it's either foot or scooter is how you get around. And so it's that small and there's basically nothing but 30 or 40 dive shops there. So there's really not a ton to do. Um, you know, I went on like a couple hikes and rode, a, I got a scooter there as well and rode a scooter around and met some cool people. And that was about it. Just kind of hung out, watched the sunset. Would you say the diving there is more of like a recreational thing or do people actually try to like... Is it more of an industry? Um, I am definitely not a diving expert or close to it. I do know that it is a big, you know, destination for diving. A lot of people get certified there either for their basic or their advanced. Oh, okay. Um, and it's like I said, you take advantage of the price difference and you can do it for, you know, a third or a quarter of the cost. It would cost you anywhere else. It's beautiful from what I remember and from what everybody still says. Um, and there's definitely a lot of intermediate and advanced divers on Kotal. A lot of people doing some advanced stuff. There's shipwreck dives, there's night dives. Um, I actually met a guy 10 years prior when I was doing my backpacking trip who he was an Australian guy and he worked six months a year in Australia on oil rigs, just backbreaking hard, long days, but making a ton of money. And then every year, uh, he would leave that and then go to Kotal for six months and just dive and party for six months and rinse and repeat. And he did it for like five or 10 years. So you yeah. can kind of do whatever wow. you want over there. That sounds awesome. Yeah, sometimes it's cool to just, especially solo, you can just kind of get away for a little bit, be with people that you don't really have like family or work obligations to. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So one thing, you know, you 
people listening to this are probably like, all right, so he kind of hung out in Bangkok and then kind of hung out in Koh Samui and did nothing for a week and then went to another tropical island and hung out for a week and didn't really do anything. One thing I'm trying to get better at is at least planning a few things in each location I go to. Um, I'm very much fly by the seat of my pants, kind of wake up and do whatever I feel like doing that day. Um, but that definitely comes around and bites you sometimes when, when it's day four and you're doing the same thing and you kind of run out of ideas. So I, I, I'm trying to make, trying to get better at signing up for things in advance and at least having maybe one activity a day, whether that's a walking tour, a cooking class, uh, a meetup group, just something like a language exchange, just really anything to meet people, especially when I'm traveling solo. Yeah, yeah. There's like a middle ground in there, maybe. So uh, what what was the next uh, destination? So after Koh Tao, I took the ferry um, back to the mainland. And I honestly forget if it was Surat Thani or Chumphon. Those are both kind of port cities that have an airport um, that serve the island. So it was one of those. I took the ferry back to one of those and then flew to Bangkok about 30 minutes later. And the Bangkok, again, was more of a positioning for um, the next day. So this was my last night in Thailand. And so I got to Bangkok. I had one more night. Um, and so I checked into the St. Regis Bangkok for my last night in Thailand, which cost, I believe it, I, I believe it was 41,000 Marriott points or something like that. So I used a 35K certificate and topped it off with points. Um, wow. And that was definitely... Uh, yeah, you know, that was definitely a great value as well. I did a I did a fifty k Marriott cert uh, on my birthday this year for the St. Regis Atlanta, but something tells me that it was not as nice as the St. Regis in Bangkok. St. Regis is great. The service is great. This hotel was fantastic. Um, excellent value, obviously. Um, I don't remember what the cash rate would have been, but great elite treatment. Um, they have a little piano bar there and that was great. And if you're platinum or above, they give you a couple free cocktails and some appetizers and that type of stuff. Since there's no lounge breakfast was huge, fantastic. Obviously it's a St. Regis. So the service is excellent. Um, the main purpose of this stay was like I mentioned, it was just my last night in Thailand. So I needed to position myself to Bangkok, uh, for where I was going the next day. Um, and I was definitely excited to try out the St. Regis. And uh, it was a great use of a 35K certificate as well. That makes me feel so terrible. I think my last 35K Marriott certificate was like a courtyard uh, <laughs> on some highway exit. <laughs> Courtyard's got to be my least favorite Marriott brand out of like the 75 they have. Um, I just feel like they're so they're so sterile and it's just <laughs> such low effort. Right. They all look the same. I mean, you know, same you know, there obviously there has to be some brand standards and uniformity if you're, you know, carrying a certain flag on your property. But you know, St. Regis are different everywhere you go and Ritz, you know, you, you know what to expect. You know you're gonna get good service, you know you're gonna get a comfortable bed, but um, yeah, courtyard, I, I just can't with courtyard anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just one of those where it's well that it's uh it's clean, it's there, I need it. <laughs> just throw this certificate. Oh no, I've, <laughs> right. I've spent a cumulative weeks in courtyard. I mean, they definitely have their time and place and you don't stay there because it's a great experience. You stay there because it's a good value. But um or because you need elite nights. The flat tire um, hotel. <laughs> flat tire hotel. Exactly. It's a road trip hotel, you know, when you're when you're trying to chase status or user points. So I'm guessing did you use this as like, was this your flight back? Actually, no. So this was my last night in Bangkok or in Thailand. And the next evening, I believe it was 8 or 9 or 10 p.m., I had a flight onward to Japan. So I stayed at the St. Regis, actually. One, to stay at a St. Regis. Two, to use the certificate, which I believe was conveniently expiring soon. But also because I was a titanium or platinum at the time and i knew that i had a pretty good shot at late checkout or very oh, late right. checkout if you will because like i mentioned this flight was at you know eight nine or ten or whatever it was it was a red eye to to tokyo and um you know marriott gives you until at least four with the status and so i did that 
And I, I don't remember if they gave me any later or not, but it worked out perfectly to where I checked out of the hotel. And by the time you get to the airport and hit the lounge for an hour or two, then you board your flight. And it was, it was just perfect. So from there, from Bangkok, I flew to Tokyo. I honestly don't remember how. <laughs> I was trying to look it up, um, but I, I couldn't tell you if it was points or cash or I couldn't even tell you what airline it was, to be honest. Um, so I landed in Tokyo. And like I mentioned, this, the, this trip was primarily Thailand. However, the reason I flew to Tokyo will be apparent a little bit later. Um, but I was in Tokyo for two nights. And after arriving in Tokyo, I checked into the Andaz Tokyo uh, Toranamon Hills, which was a Category 7 higher property. And I believe I paid 25,000 points per night. So I haven't stayed here, but I have walked by it and I've seen it many times. Is this the is this the one that's really stingy with the upgrades? It must have been because I tried to use another sweet upgrade award, and um, actually night two of this um, was the so checkout day was my birthday, uh, conveniently, and so between trying to use a sweet upgrade award, I there wasn't any sweets available, I believe. Um, I tried to go through my Hyatt concierge. You know, this is the one day a year where you can kind of ask for the moon. It's your, it's your actual birthday. Right. You're not celebrating it on a different day. This was the actual day of my birthday. And um, I tried everything. Um, it wasn't available for whatever reason. I don't, I don't really fault them for it. Um, but yes, they are, they are famously stingy with upgrades. And with that said, though, I did get a fantastic, it was a basic room or club level room or premium room, whatever they call it. But it was a, Probably probably the best view I've ever had of any hotel, if not maybe top two. Um, I got a very high floor looking directly at the Tokyo Tower, which at night was absolutely insane. You cannot even put it into words. Wow. That's yeah, I've I've heard that property is some people even prefer it to the Park Hyatt, which uh is famous for the Bill Murray movie. Uh, where he does the pool scene or whatever it is, but um, yeah, I have heard they're very difficult to get uh, suite upgrades with. But that's wow, that's killer. Yeah, so I was actually for these two nights in Tokyo, I was actually l- spent quite a bit of time comparing if I should stay here or stay at the Park Hyatt. Um, they were actually the same price; they're both Category Seven, so they were both twenty five thousand Hyatt points per night. Um, so, do I stay at the Park Hyatt? Do I stay at the Andaz? Um, like I said, to me, they're at the same price. Um, the Andaz was slightly newer, and they're both not in a fantastic location. They're not super central for what you want to do, but the Andaz was location I was told was slightly better, so I chose that. Um, for what it's worth, I also heard the Park Hyatt was starting to show its age a little bit, and also for what it's worth, I never saw Lost in Translation, so that <laughs> wouldn't really mean anything to me either way. Um Fun fact about me, I've still never stayed in a park Hyatt before. What? <laughs> so, well, I've done Yeah. So, I've done some some Ritz Carlton or two. I've done St. Regis, you know, Bangkok and uh Punta Mita and Bora Bora and all this stuff, but I've actually never been to I've been to, but I've never stayed in a park Hyatt, believe it or not. I I would try to at some point, although my my only um big critique of Park Hyatt that the Ritz-Carlton's and the St. Regis's of the world don't seem to have. And people who know me are going to make fun of me for this. They tend to have these cement hard mattresses at Park Hyatt's. Um, Whether it's the Park Hyatt New York or Tokyo, uh, really all of them. The only one I've ever been to that doesn't is the one in Toronto, which I wish more people would talk about because it's one of my favorite hotels I've ever stayed at, uh, if you're ever in Toronto, 100%, that's the place. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you're really missing anything if you've been to Ritz-Carlton and St. Regis. <laughs> yeah, um, and, you know, for what, a lot of time, depending on what location we're talking about here, you know, there, there's such a price premium, even with points over, over something like an Andaz or a Hyatt Regency that, it's, I mean, Bangkok's a great example of that. I, I paid, I believe, 8,000 points a night for the Hyatt Regency Bangkok Sukhumvit, and I think the Park Hyatt was fifteen or 20,000 a night there. 
you know, I'd been to Bangkok before and Bangkok's one of those cities where you're kind of out and about a lot. And was it really worth paying two or three times, you know, per night, the number of points when the higher regency is still, you know, very, very nice four or five star hotel. So to me, it was not worth the, the price premium. Um, I'm sure I'll, you know, stay at one soon. Um, or maybe I won't and just, you know, keep the streak going. We'll see. Yeah, a lot of diminishing returns there. So you did the Andaz in Tokyo. Was that your only hotel in Tokyo? It was. So I was only in Tokyo for two nights, um, stayed at the Andaz for both nights. I will say about that hotel, you were talking about the beds. Um, Andaz Tokyo has the best shower I've ever used. Now you're and now you're talking my language. <laughs> I, I I it's hard to put into words why. Most people would probably just look at it and say it's, it's a nice shower. I don't see the point. You know, it didn't have thirty shower heads or anything, but it had just one, and it was just perfect water, crazy pressure. It was a big rainfall shower head. Um, it didn't even have a window or anything. I mean, it was an interior shower, but it was just absolutely fantastic and i don't know why but i still think about that shower <laughs> so that was a great experience in my room that's how uh my wife talks about the park hat new york shower that way it's, it's like her second husband or something i someday i'm gonna go in there and, and put a demolition on one of those and get revenge but yeah th- those actually do have two um working uh water fixtures so you, okay. you get it like from two different angles and it's pretty cool um, and I think you were right. You mentioned the Park Hyatt in Tokyo is getting a little old. It must be because they're renovating it, I think, this year. I believe it's closed for the entire yeah. year, a good part of a year. Um, and keep in mind, this was, you know, this trip was, you know, six or eight or 10 months before they decided to close it completely. So, um, you know, nothing against it. I'm sure it's a fantastic property. It's one of their flagships, but, um, you know, I had a great stay at the Andaz. Um, I had a friend, an uh, American friend of mine, who was actually living in Osaka. So he took the train and met me in Tokyo. And we just kind of bopped around for a day or two. Um, and we actually, kind of interesting, we went to a sumo wrestling match. There was some sort of sumo tournament when we were there in, in, um, in Tokyo. And I don't recall if it was actually on my birthday or not, but to be inside an authentic Japanese sumo arena was definitely a experience that I probably won't have again anytime soon. That's so cool. Yeah. It's actually oddly, if you've never been before, you pay, you pay for a ticket and you get in there and it's oddly quiet. You know, um, you know, there's a couple of minutes between each match and then these, these giant guys get up there and you could probably hear a pin drop, but then they just go at it. And even in the nosebleeds, you can hear all the noises they're making and, the crowd starts cheering and everybody's kind of drinking and having a good time. So that was Tokyo. Um, so yeah, from Tokyo um, was actually the other main event of the trip. I mentioned uh, Kosamui was kind of the anchor point in terms of location. And um, the main event was actually the flight home. So the entire reason I went to Japan was to catch my first time on all Nippon airways first class. Um, that was Tokyo to Chicago on their triple seven in the new first class suite. This is the one with like the fully enclosed door, the huge TV, right? It is. It was a crazy experience. Um, it has like a 43 or a 44 inch 4k TV <laughs> The door closes the, I mean, it's the biggest TV I've ever seen on a plane. It's absolutely absurd. The Ottoman, is legitimately something like six or seven feet away from the chair. I have a picture of my legs. I'm 5'11". I have a picture of my legs fully stretched out and I'm not even touching the ottoman. So it was a crazy experience and it also happened to be on my birthday, which was pretty cool. So how did you book this and how many points? So I booked this. I actually saw it pop up. I think I knew I... I think I had, I forget which flight I had first, either the flight to Thailand or this one, but I saw this pop up and I've always wanted to fly A&A first class because one of my first redemptions was actually Japan Airlines first class, but that's a different story. And so I saw this and I booked it and I used 110,000 aeroplan points transferred from American Express. And this, I understand there was other sweet spots to book this, um, but this had lower taxes and I 
just didn't have anything in A&A at the time. And I don't think their transfers are instant. I don't recall. Um, and I had something like a million aero plan points just sitting there. And so I said, you know what, this is on my birthday. This is from somewhere I'm already going to be. So let's, let's plan a trip around this. And, you know, if it costs me 110,000 aero plan points, that's still a great value because this flight, you know, one way for one person is 13 or $14,000. So crazy. It's like, a you're basically paying cash equivalent of around a grand and you're getting 13 times the value. It's, uh, it's just crazy to th- say that out loud, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It, it costs about as much as my car did when I bought it used uh, four or five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. So yeah, that was, that was great. Um, <laughs> and before we get into the flight, one thing I should note is I actually got sick. My last day or two leaving Thailand, I actually fell ill. Now this wasn't food poisoning. This was a, a pretty crazy head cold or I n- actually never tested for COVID when I was there for some reason, but it might've been COVID. I don't know. Um, but I was actually a little bit sick going into Japan and going into this flight. Um, so a lot of the anticipation for the flight and my birthday was still there, but mm. it definitely uh, added another layer to it. Was it uh, some of the um, amazing ANA catering not uh, applicable? <laughs> well, what happened was it was it was something on Kotao or something in in Bangkok or something, and um, you know I, I had a, I had a little headache or a little head cold finishing up Japan. Um, but you know, there, there wasn't really too many options. I'm not, you know, I, I was fine. To, I was fine. I was fine to fly. And I was, you know, you're wearing a mask the whole time, like everyone else does in Japan anyways. So, um, you know, I had to get home at some point sure. and if you're going to do it, you might as well do it with a, a closing door in your little 40 square foot, you know, suite, right. Cause there's no one around you. I, well, I was going to say if, uh, I actually had to get on a uh, Delta One uh, Suites flight when I was feeling really bad. Like it wasn't COVID, but it was kind of like flu-like symptoms. And I had, you know, I, by the time I figured out that I was sick, I was basically in the airport, right? So I had to go. And uh, there's probably nothing better when you feel like that than a lie flat seat. So it couldn't have been that bad. Absolutely. And, you know, regardless of how I felt, this was something that I'd been looking forward to for, you know, a solid six months and it happened to be my birthday, you know, and you happen to be going home after a two week, you know, trip. So I definitely tried to enjoy it to the best of my ability. And the all Nippon Airways first class experience was just incredible. Again, this was in their new suite, which was at the time more recently debuted. And so once I found out that the flight would be in the new suite, it was a no-brainer. And um, I was, you know, I, I had never flown their old suite before, but, you know, the new one is just, it's just fantastic. It's everything that, you know, it's hyped up to be. The service is fantastic. And this was the full experience, right? This was Tokyo to Chicago. Um, you know, I forget the flight time, I, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 hours, but Everything from the Krug champagne to the caviar to the steak to the, you know, the hibiki. And I don't even really like Japanese whiskey, but I had to get a glass anyway. And just just having a great time and then getting a fantastic night of sleep on a giant bed. I think there were three or four windows just to myself with automatic shades. And so you close the shades on those, you close the door to the suite, then you have a giant, you know, 44 inch TV in front of you. So it was pretty fantastic. That's crazy. Yeah. I always um, ask people, like, what did you feel like the difference was? Well, I guess I'll ask you this question. You just listed like all these amazing things. What did you feel like was the biggest difference or thing that you gained over, say, your average, like, American business class seat or like a Polaris business class seat? I mean, credit to Polaris business class. It's, I remember the first time I ever took Polaris business class, I was absolutely wowed. And, you know, it's still an absolutely solid, very consistent, very uniform product right. wherever you go, regardless if it's a 777 or a 787 or whatever. Um, I will absolutely take Polaris if it's available. Um, but yeah, first class over business class, you know, outside of the obvious and that there's only eight first class seats and on a 
on a flight like this, Tokyo to Chicago, I don't know how many business class seats there are, 20, 30, 40. Um, actually, quick note on that. ANA's new business class is, you know, probably 75 or 80% of their first class. Uh, the room, I mean, right? those seats are probably the biggest seats I've ever seen outside of mine. And I would absolutely not hesitate to fly that anywhere in the world. That thing, you could fit two or three people on that seat. I, it kind of worries me. They almost uh, made that seat too good. People are not going to pay for first because that seat is just so amazing. Absolutely. You know, but, you know, I say to that, I say more first class award availability for me. Right. Um, but yeah, no, the, the incremental difference is just, it's the, the hard product, obviously, but also the soft product, the, the different check in line, just the different treatment, you know, all Nippon Airways and Japan Airlines and a lot of the Asian carriers treat you pretty excellent either way, especially when you're in a premium cabin. But just first class is just an entirely, you know, even more elevated experience and, you know, different wines and Krug and a little bit better food and all that type of stuff. So um, that was definitely like a high point, one of the better redemptions I've ever done. It's awesome. So you got back, guessing you connected from Chicago by some way, shape, or form back home? I did. I don't recall um, how I paid for it. I think I just paid cash or used United Travel Bank. But yeah, I flew uh, Chicago where United's headquartered over to San Diego. And uh, that was pretty uneventful. I actually wasn't sure if I was going to stay the night in Chicago and then fly back the next yeah. morning or not. Um, and I actually had a hotel booked at the uh, nearby Hyatt Regency. Um, but I ended up canceling that on approach to Chicago and realizing that I was going to make, and I, you know, make the, make the flight a couple hours later, um, back home to San Diego. And so I did that and, you know, for what it's worth, I wanted to sleep in my bed. And if you have a choice, why don't you just get home sooner? You know, the trip's already over. The first class is already over at that point. Just get home sooner. Uh, one, one funny thing was that we left uh, Tokyo, like I mentioned on my birthday, and then we crossed the date line, so we added, we gained time. So we also landed on my birthday uh, 15 hours later, and I think my, my birthday was technically something like 28 or 29 hours that day, so that was kind of fun. <laughs> that is a nice little Easter egg. Well, man, like you were just full of surprises. I did not see some of that stuff coming with, uh, you know, I, I had heard of uh, Study on the Sea or whatever it's called, but... Uh, <laughs> That that is an amazing story. We're gonna have to do another episode where you just talk about that. That was awesome. Yeah, it was quite an experience for sure. Well, uh, Brandon, before I let you go, I did want to ask: Do you have a big redemption coming up in the next year or so that you're really excited about? Um, in terms of big redemption, um, I don't actually. Um, I have a couple other trips like this one that might be two or three weeks each um, that I'm contemplating for 2024. Um, I've never been to Turkey, so I would love to fly Turkish Airlines business class, a product I've never flown before, and I have plans to do that. Um, I'm actually leaving in a couple days for one of my longer trips to date, which is about a month in South America, but that's not particularly anything special in terms of flights or redemptions. Um, but in general, I, I, I kind of like off the beaten path destinations and up and coming places, you know, other places other than London, New York, Paris, Sydney, you know, the, all the A-list cities around the world. I'm sure I'll go to all those places, but, you know, I'm interested in funky places like, you know, Oman or Mongolia or Burma or Laos or something like that. Just kind of like B or C-list destinations where it's still, it's still pretty authentic and still kind of interesting and adventurous and you never really know what you're going to experience and, you know, not, not necessarily fully developed in terms of uh, maybe bucket list redemptions or anything like that. Um, I've still actually never flown any of the Middle East three airlines and Q suites is on my radar potentially for 2024, as well as I just caught glance of the new Japan airlines first class, which looks kind of like a game changer product. I believe it's only flying to JFK right now, but yes. I flew the old one um, a number of years ago, and that was a great experience. And the new one with the with the bed and the seat kind of reminds me of the Singapore suites. And so I would love to fly something like that 
And that's something I would almost plan a trip around if I can get availability like that. So we'll have to see what happens next year. Yeah, that and the uh, the if you're into my, like huge first class seats, like you mentioned, Singapore Suites and the New Japan first, the Lufanza um, first that they just announced is is very similar. It's basically an enclosure. The new one looks great if it ever comes out, just like their new business. Yeah, um, if it ever <laughs> as comes I understand out. it. As I understand it, it's it's had something like five years of delays already, and there's there's rumors that something might be entirely scrapped, or I'm not really sure about that. But uh, yeah, my my next uh, my next dream redemption, I guess, would probably be Q Suites, um, obviously to uh, Cutter. But from onward from there to which destination, I don't know. That's to be determined. Sounds awesome. All right. Well, hey, I appreciate it, Brandon. Uh, this is amazing. I learned a, like a lot of properties that I'm going to have to look at now if I go to Thailand. So uh, once again, hey, I really appreciate it. I hope we can have you on again on another episode. Of course, I would love that. I have a couple other trips, uh, you know, if you ever want to have me back and can talk about some other flights and destinations. But I've had a great time and thanks for having me. All right. So before you go, Brandon, where can people find you online? Sure. If anyone wants to follow me, I'm on Instagram at BJM11, just the letters BJM11. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to episode three of Churn and Burn. We'll see you next time. Churn and Burn. Thank you.